Please stand for the reading of God's word, which is Proverbs chapter 11, verses 1 through 17. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way, but the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright shall deliver them, but transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. When a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish and the hope of unjust men perisheth. The righteous is delivered out of trouble, and the wicked cometh in his stead. An hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through knowledge shall the just be delivered. When it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoiceth, and when the wicked perish, there is shouting. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it's overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. He that is void of wisdom despiseth his neighbor, but a man of understanding holdeth his peace. A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it, and he that hateth suretyship is sure. A gracious woman retaineth honor, and strong men retain riches. The merciful man doeth good in his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. Thank you. Please and turn to Proverbs. For those who are visiting with us, I've been doing a series in Proverbs. And I started, I preached through the first nine chapters. Pretty much we went through each chapter because those are long units of thought. But then when you get to Proverbs chapter 10, they're what we would call the sentence Proverbs. So I'm just, I'm just jumping around. Honestly, I'm just praying. I'm saying, God, what subject or theme do you want me to deal with? And so I know one week I might be in chapter 24, but today I'm back in 11, and next week I might be, I don't know where, but I'll be in Proverbs. I'll keep preaching in Proverbs until the rapture, I think. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just seeing if you're listening. But I could preach in Proverbs until the rapture. I mean, it's like, but I, I won't. But I will preach in Proverbs as long as I'm interested in it. That's the good thing about being a preacher. I get to, to decide what the meal is. So I hope you enjoy the food when you come. But if you're tired of it, you let me know. And then I'll pray about that also. You can always... By the way, if you ever say, Pastor, could you preach on this? Let me know. I would love to know if you want to have a study a particular book of the Bible or something. You let me know and I'll pray about it. But today I want to preach on rejoicing in the city. What a great theme. Whatever's going on out there in this world should not affect the rejoicing of our hearts because we as the people of God have something to rejoice in no matter what and our joy our joy is the key to joy in this city now if you're like me I might wonder can a church our size really have an influence on a city like New York it was such a monstrous city. But the answer is yes. As we rejoice in the Lord, look at this, the text this morning. And I'm going to preach from the first 11 verses, but I just want to read as we begin the, really the crescendo of these verses. And I do believe there's a connection between them, so I'm going to kind of preach this expositionally today. But the crescendo of this section is in 10 and 11. Can you read it with me? It says... When it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoiceth. So just stop right there. What, does it ha- what has to happen for the city to rejoice? For it to go well with you. 
the righteous, the saved, the born again. As Brother Dave was just talking about, when we read the righteous, those who are born again. And it says, when the wicked perish, there is shouting. Now read verse 11 with me. It says, by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. So what has to happen for the city to be lifted up? For the blessing of God to come down on the saved, on the believers, on the upright, they're called there. The believers, the saved, the born-again ones are called the upright. Isn't that amazing? So, the city celebrates when the righteous triumph. The city rejoices when the godly live out their faith in Jesus Christ. The righteous hold the key for the rejoicing in the city. That's a great challenge for us. We hold the key. Little churches like this and others like us sprinkle throughout the city. When the righteous, the born-again ones who have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ given to them, when we live out our faith, when we live out our faith, beloved, there's joy in the city. The city celebrates the triumph. That's what this passage is saying. It says the city tr- celebrates, rejoices. When it goes well with the righteous, the, the, the city rejoices. The city celebrates. That's a challenge to me. That's an encouragement to me. And when the righteous courageously, compassionately live out their faith, the city rejoices and is lifted up. So that's the message today. Rejoicing in the city. Let's pray. Father, please work now in this time as we talk about the rejoicing of your people that would lead to rejoicing in the city we want our city to be rejo- we want our city to rejoice lord every day we read of bad news and hear of bad news and there's a lot of sorrow in this city but lord as your people we can rejoice and dear god we pray that our city would turn to you we pray god for a true revival of your holy spirit in our great city in jesus name amen so Proverbs 14.34 reminds me of this, these verses. It says that righteousness exalteth, lifts up. Righteousness. That's not just an outward righteousness. That's an internal righteousness that's lived out. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So righteousness, in a sense, exalts the city and brings rejoicing to the city, but it also exalts a nation and brings joy to the nation. So, I want to give an example, an illustration of what happened that I saw happening this past week about this. We've heard of woke ideology, right? It's being pushed on all of us. It's being pushed on our children by godless elites in the political realm. A lot of our politicians are pushing woke ideology on us in the educational community, and in medical institutions. And what I'm talking about, they're pushing the LGBT and transgender lifestyles. They're sexualizing our children. They want to sexualize and teach these sexual concepts to children at the age of five, six, seven, eight years old in school. They're recruiting our children to this lifestyle. That's what's happening. You could call it what you want, but it's an indoctrination that's going on. Other people call it a grooming. They're grooming our children to join their woke agenda. It's going on throughout America. For example, those there are some who want to normalize pedophilia. And so they're calling themselves minor attracted persons as if Pedophilia, just trying to take that word away and say we're minor attracted persons. Listen, that's a wicked sin. They want teenage girls to get abortions without telling their parents. They want little children pole dancing at LGBT parades. They want to arrange for drag queens to dance in front of small children. Our city is spending millions of dollars to have drag queens come into our elementary school. I don't know millions, but they have a budget for it. Teachers in elementary schools want to talk to their children about gender fluidity and about 
their own personal lifestyles and pronouns, and they want to push this onto our children. They want to create doubts in boys' minds, whether they're a boy and a girl's mind, whether they're a girl. And they're coming strong. I mean, since especially 2015, the Obergefell decision, when uh, gay marriage was legalized by the Supreme Court, this whole transgender push really started coming on stronger. So no longer are schools focusing first on reading, writing, and arithmetic, but they're, I really believe they are trying to teach our children about all of this transgender and what their genders and what pronouns they should be taking. This is, this, they want this to be a part of their curriculum. And this, this is ungodly child abuse, in my understanding. But we have to understand there is very powerful institutions pushing this. For example, even the medical world, the, the pharmaceutical world, is pushing this because there are billions of dollars at stake in the surgeries that would be required to change a boy into a girl. The radical transition surgeries that requires mutilating a, 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 a child's body, removing their God-given organs in order to, so to speak, fix the gender that they were mistakenly assigned at birth. You see, this can only happen in a culture that's forsaken God, forgotten God. So, not only are the, are, is the medical world going to profit greatly by doing these surgeries, transition surgeries, but they're going to, then they're going to have, they're going to have a, a, a client, a customer for life. Because that person who had that surgery will be, will be basically very dependent on the medical world for, for drugs from the, that point up until, until the end of their life, pretty much. Because they're going to have a lot of mental health issues, as, as well as, of course, when they're young, they give them very dangerous, destructive, powerful puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones. We never even heard of this kind of stuff. Few years ago, cross. Can you imagine giving a seven-year-old, eight-year-old child a cross-sex hormone or puberty blocker to keep their body from naturally growing, but to, to actually stop the growth of the child, that that boy into a man or that girl into a woman? That's what that's what the medical world is is giving to our children, and they want they want the children to have the authority to make this decision. They want the children. Now, I'm not going to give my seven-year-old the authority to go outside, maybe, and without my permission. Now, I'm going to let him make this kind of life. No, no, I'm sorry. This is something. So, this is very evil. And yet, those who are pushing all of this in the educational community, the political community, and the educational world, they call us, they will call me, for what I just said, they will call me a right-wing extremist. That's, that's how they're labeling us. Okay, so are you willing? Are you willing to take that label? I guess I'm going to ask you. Because that's what they're calling us. So, in Florida, school board members were bragging about their woke ideology from the inside. Do you know what happened? Mama bears stood up. Mothers who love their children all across Florida, and it happened as well as in Texas, and it's happening across the country. But they're seeing these abominations being taught in the schools to their children, and they became more engaged. They started going to school board meetings. Many of them are Christians just like you and me. And these women were, some of them were targeted by, our, our, by the Department of, of Justice and were called domestic terrorists. This happened as well in Virginia when they, they voted in uh, Yunkin as the governor and he won over some of these issues. So they're, they're calling all kinds of names, but, but, but no matter, listen, the corporate media is a part of this too. The corporate media is downright wicked, evil propaganda. If you're going to listen to CNN day and night, you better be careful. Because that's wicked propaganda, a lot of it. 
because they hate God. They hate the Bible. You have to understand, they're not coming at us from a Christian point of view in the mainstream corporate media. It's a complex. And they're not saved people. They're not righteous people. You have to just understand that. So so they started calling these moms domestic terrorists, far-right extremists. You know what? They said, we don't care what you call us. We love our children. And you know what? A lot of these mothers got together. They started different groups. There was one group called Moms for Liberty. Liberty, And they say, we are war moms. You know, and, and here's even the USA Today. This is the corporate media, you know, giving their spin on this. You know. But basically what happened, and this just happened this week, so this is very current. Basically, throughout Florida, they flipped 13 major school districts that had liberal school boards. They flipped them to have now conservative mothers on the school board. Hallelujah! To me, I say, praise God. They want, they want their children taught reading and writing and arithmetic. And do you know what? When those things happen... Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 11. This is exactly what it's saying. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. Now, the, a lot of the people who are wicked, they might be against it, but you know what? The city is going to be better off for what's happening in Florida and in Texas and perhaps maybe even in New York. It says the city, and when the wicked perish, they're shouting, and it says by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. So when God puts His blessing on the upright who stand up for righteousness, it will lift up the city. And, but, but it's going to be overthrown. Now watch the end of verse 11. It's going to be overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. In other words, there is a spiritual war going on here. There are wicked people who seek to overthrow righteousness. And it is the righteous who are standing up. And it's when God blesses the upright and there's victory, when they experience victory, like these moms, these Christian moms, not all of them are saved, I don't know their spiritual condition, but I've listened and heard some of their testimonies and I believe some of them are are just like us. They're just Bible-believing Christians. So this is an example, I believe, of this text. So I want to look at this this morning about a rejoicing city. And our city needs deliverance. We need the deliverance that righteousness and only the righteousness of God and His blessing can bring. We need deliverance from the trouble of unbelief. There's so much unbelief. We need deliverance from unbelief. We need to believe the Bible and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We need deliverance from sexual sins, from depression, from violence, from drugs, all kinds of things. We need deliverance from this woke ideology that's happening today and destroying our children. So just a few things today, how our city can be a place that rejoices and celebrates with joy. And I really want to believe, based on this text, that it's the righteous who hold the key to the rejoicing of the city. We cannot stop fighting for God. And there's, I want to just go through the passage, beginning in verse 1, and just bring out some points here this morning. Take your notes if you like. We're in, our, in, in the bulletin. There is an outline of the message on page 10 and 11 if you desire to follow along. The first thing we must do as people of God, and if we're going to have true rejoicing in the city, we must live honestly. We must behave with honest practices in life. And that begins with how we handle our money. So verse 1 talks about a false balance is abomination to the Lord. Now, of course, in ancient Bible times, they, they did their business transactions by weighing. They would put a, 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 a stone on one part of the scale, and then they would weigh what they were buying on the other. And when it leveled out, that was based on that stone weighing a certain thing. They were, they were buying that equal amount of weight. So he's saying now, so you have to have the right weight of that stone. It can't be a false balance. He says a false balance is abomination to the Lord. And Amos talks about this, of falsifying the balances of deceit. Micah talks about this. Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and with the bag of deceitful weights? And so those who wanted to trick and deceive and lie to their customers, they would be dishonest. But God says He delights in those who are honest in their business practices. 
A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just, a pure, a perfect weight is the idea there, is his delight. The idea here is it's very easy to cheat. And the temptation to get rich at the expense of someone else is a real temptation. There's a temptation for people to cheat for financial gain. (laughs) Still exists. And to increase your profit margin by ripping people off is an abomination to God. That's what God's saying here. If you're going to profit at someone else's expense in a dishonest fashion, that's wicked and it's an abomination to God. That word abomination is not a light word. That's a strong word used for idolaters and those who are involved in deep sexual immorality. It is wicked to use deceptive practices to harm someone else. So, there was a national standard of weight, my understanding, in the sanctuary. You can look up the verse, 1 Chronicles 23, 29. We won't go there. But there was a standard of weight that was in the temple and and then the Levites were put in charge of assuring this standard throughout the country so that there was a standard of weight for a shekel. And so if you bought a shekel of goods, it was according to that standard. So, And it was the Levites who were charged with assuring that standard to be practiced consistently. God delights in honesty here. He says, a just weight is His delight. So here's a proverb. Here's, a, here's from the law. And so this, this is in the Psalms, this is in the law, this is in the prophets about just weights. But here's a, a verse going back to the law. He says, but thou shalt have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure shalt thou have, that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And the point is this, is if you're, you're going to rip somebody else off, you're showing what your God is, or who, what your God is. Yeah, it's... Money. If you're living to take advantage of people because you think you have to get rich at their expense, money's your God. And it's an abomination because God wants to be our God. So that's the first thing here is honest practices because honesty delights the Lord. And the second thing under this, still the first point, honest, under honest practices, we must be honest people. That is, we must be people of integrity. Now, I kind of skipped... From these verses, I went from verse 1 to now look at verse 3 and 5. And I'm saying through to these two verses that integrity simplifies our way. If we live with integrity, look, notice these verses, verse 3. He says, the integrity of the upright shall guide them. In other words, when you make a decision to live a life of integrity, and integrity is is basically your values are consistent with truth, the truth of God, rather than personal benefit or gain. You want to live with integrity, that will guide you, and it will keep you from doing certain things, going certain places, being with certain people, because you say, you know what? I want to live with integrity. Integrity simplifies your way. The integrity of the upright shall guide them it will help you make it will, it will make simple make your decision simple. In other words, your friend comes to you and says, "Hey, we're going to go out drinking tonight, and and, and yeah, there's going to be some cocaine there, and there's some going to be some girls there, and and we're going to stay out all night." I'm a man of integrity. That's a no-brainer for me. I'm going to say what? No, I'm not going to do that. You see, st- living for God, living righteously, really simplifies your life, and and, and will help you. Make decisions and you won't do certain things. You're not going to lie. You're not going to cheat. You're not going to steal. You're not going to do drugs. You're not going to get drunk. You're just not going to go there. So you're going to stay far away from that. You have a life of integrity and, and your life of integrity will guide you to simplify life. Verse 5. The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way. So you see the similarity there? The righteousness of the perfect directs His way. The integrity of the upright guides His way. So when you live with integrity, it simplifies your way. It simplifies your direction and your guidance in life. When you commit to being honest, for example, you're just going to be honest. And whatever happens after that, it's going to happen. But I'm not going to lie. I have to tell the truth. 
Integrity simplifies our life. But on the other hand, look what happens if you don't have integrity. Look at verse 3. Look at the second part of verse 3. In the second part of verse 5, it says, The perverseness of the transgressors shall destroy them. In other words, if you choose to go in a perverse life, a way of life, and perverse there, by the way, just it, it means like twisted or crooked. And if you live in a twisted or crooked way, and it says the perverseness of transgressors, and that word transgressor also appears in, in verse 6, and it's a very powerful word actually. The word transgressor, speaks of someone who is unfaithful to God and who has abandoned their relationship with God. So this is what's in our society. This is, this is school teachers. This is politicians. This is people in the media that we watch give us news on the radio or television. The transgressors. In other words, people who, have been unfaithful, who are unfaithful to God, who have abandoned any relationship with God. And it says here that the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. It's just going to come... What they're doing is just going to come right back on them and and they're going to be destroyed. Do you want that to happen to you? Of course not. In other words, their way of life is self-destructive. It's completely self-destruction. This is what's happening in America. We are becoming a a nation of transgressors. People who have abandoned God. Abandoned the Word of God. Abandoned a relationship with God. And if you abandon God, you, you, you just go into sin. But the righteous have to stand up. It says in verse 5, The wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. Isn't that amazing? In other words, the wicked bring trouble on themselves and their living is self-destructive. So, the point here, to finish off point one, is that a rejoicing city, a rejoicing city rejects this kind of self-destructive behavior of perverseness, of transgression against God, of wickedness. Those are the words used in verses 3 and 5. Of, of lying and deceit in verse 1. We reject. All of that is self-destructive. But we have to live with God-centered honesty and integrity. And we'll have rejoicing. I want you to rejoice. I want everyone to rejoice. I want everyone to know who Jesus Christ is. That, that's why I'm here. Very simple. I, I have no other motive. I don't want your money. I don't, I don't care about your money. I really don't. I hope God will bless you. I pray God will bless you. We need money to live. But I don't want to get people into this church to get, for a monetary reason. No. We want people to know Jesus Christ and live for Him. And I'm being honest. You can say, oh, you're, well, you can call me. You could say I'm a hypocrite. I'll talk about hypocrisy in a moment. But that is my heart. And I've been doing this almost 40 years. And I've coveted no man's silver. The second thing I want to see here for real rejoicing, not only must we be honest in our practices, but we must have humble attitudes. Humble attitudes. That's verse 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. The idea there is disgrace, dishonor. When pride cometh. What is pride? Pride is a self-centered point of reference. Look at me. Look what I can do. Look who I am. Pride is thinking I could do things like Frank Sinatra. I did it, you know, my way. (laughs) Pride is thinking we could do things our way and not God's way and be successful. Pride is overestimating yourself. And pride is foolishness. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But he says, with the lowly is wisdom. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly of heart. We want to be like Jesus. God manifest in the flesh, left heaven and came to earth and said, I'm meek and lowly. Wow. If He could be meek and lowly, how dare we not at least seek to walk in that way of meekness and humility. Not thinking of ourselves, but thinking of God and His way. So, here's the verse that I thought of when I looked at verse 2. Can you read it with me? Micah 6.8, it says, He hath showed thee, O man... 
what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. So, let me ask you, based on that verse, what is good? What is good? It's to do, to do justly. To do right. The founder of the school that I went to, Dr. Bob Jones Sr., used to say, do right till the stars fall. Do good. Love mercy. Walk humble with God. That's the, walk humble. So this is one of the weighty matters of the Lord. Do you know Jesus quoted this verse in His sermon in Matthew 23 to the scribes and Pharisees when He called them multiple times scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says the weighty matter, you should mind the weightier matters of the law because this is what God requires of us. And it is good. And so the point here is that a rejoicing city, if we're going to rejoice, we have to reject self-exaltation. And we have to live with a God-centered humility. If we are living for Jesus Christ, that will take our eyes off ourselves and put our eyes on Him. And that's, that's the only way we can be humble. We're not going to be humble by saying, oh, I'm humble. <laughs> that's not the way you're humble. The way, the way we're humble is by just taking our eyes off ourselves, forget about yourself, and look to Jesus Christ, and He will take care of us. God-centered humility. The third thing we need here is ultimate deliverance. Verse 4, he says, Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So if there's going to be real rejoicing in your heart, you have to know you've been delivered. You have to know, as our brother came here and challenged us all, that we make sure we're born again. He says, Riches profit not in the day of wrath. But righteousness delivers from death. Now, that day of wrath could speak of a day of catastrophe, of judgment upon a city that was in disobedience or rebellion against God. But that day of wrath, in the larger, my larger understanding of the Bible, I believe that day of wrath could well speak of the time that we stand before God, the day of His judgment, for those that are not saved and they've, been trust, they've trusted in their riches, how much money will it take for somebody to get into heaven? How much money? There's no amount of money that could pay your way into heaven. You know that, correct? Riches profit not in that day of wrath. But righteousness delivers from death. The only way to ultimately be delivered from death is to have righteousness. And you know what? That's exactly our problem. <laughs> there is none righteous, no, not one. So where are we going to get this righteous? If, if the thing everybody really wants in this earth, which is money, isn't going to help me when I stand before God, but righteousness is the way, and righteousness is the only thing that's ultimately going to Help me when I stand before God, but I'm not righteous in myself. Then where am I going to get that righteousness from? Where? Where? Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And I love this verse. Can you read it with me? It says, And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So the question is, is He your righteousness? It says, the righteousness which is of God, the, the righteousness which is through the faith of Jesus Christ. Is He your righteousness? Are you in Him? That we would be found where? In Him. You know when you become saved, you have a... You are in union with Jesus Christ. You are put in Christ. The moment you're saved, you're put in Jesus Christ at salvation. And you are in Him. Paul uses that expression, in Him, over and over and over again. 
because we are in union with him. And Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. We must be found. When we're standing before God someday, beloved, just be found in Jesus. (laughs) And if you're in Jesus standing before God, guess what you have? All the righteousness you need. All the, you don't have to add one stitch and don't even add one stitch of any work that you have done to that righteousness that is perfect in Jesus Christ. That we are found in Him. Not my own righteousness, but with what is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. And I know it's a little longer, but go to Romans chapter 10 if you like, or you could read it up here on the screen if you want. But I love these verses also. And can you read them along with me? As I read them, can you read them along? If you want to read it out loud, you may, or just read it in your heart, okay. But, he, but Paul says in Romans 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So my heart's desire, prefer, I want Israel to be saved, but I want, since you're here today, I want to make sure you're saved. How's that? And I want all, the whole world to be saved. But we want people to be saved. But Paul says specifically about Israel, I bear them record, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, was first century Jewish, were first century Jewish people religious and did they follow their rituals? Yes. Did they do it zealously? Yes. Paul was there. Paul says, I had a zeal. He was even persecuting Christians thinking he was serving God. But Paul says, They are ignorant of God's righteousness, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and go about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. See, everybody's always trying to establish their own righteousness. Our woke culture is doing that very thing. For them, righteousness is accepting LGBT. If you don't, you're you're an extremist, you're a terrorist, or whatever they want to call us. See, that's to them, that's justice, that's righteous. It's... They're, they even call themselves, what, social justice warriors. Because that's their, that's their sense of justice. But it's their own righteousness, not God's. And they have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So what's the righteousness of God? Where can we find the righteousness of God? Now here Paul says it. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that... Believes. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in God's sight, you have arrived to perfect righteousness. Think of that. Perfect righteousness is in Jesus Christ. The end of the law literally means that to which a thing, thing is finished. It's like if you were building a house... And you had to do everything in that house. You framed it. You finished it. Then you polished everything. And then you said, it's complete. It's done. It's a finished, complete house. When you have Jesus Christ, you are complete in Him. Your righteousness is is full. And this is the righteousness that you need for deliverance. Ultimate deliverance. And that deliverance could be a catastrophe in this life. And God will get you through it. But ultimately, deliverance from death. And a rejoicing city rejects self-righteousness. It rejects all attempts to establish our own righteousness. And finds and embraces perfect righteousness in Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. Amen? That Jesus Christ is the sinless Savior of the world. He died on the cross when He didn't deserve to die. But He died for... He died... That's why He died for you. He died on the cross for your sin. Because your sin and mine deserves the wrath of God even in hell. But Jesus Christ took our sins in His body. The perfectly righteous One took our sins on Himself. And died as the just one for the unjust, that he might bring, that he might give us his righteousness and bring us to God. So embrace the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The the fourth thing is a righteous way of life. A rejoicing city will have the righteous people, once they have this righteousness that delivers from death, that's the ultimate righteousness. Okay, so once you say you're saved, live it out. Flesh, work, it, work out your salvation. Right, brother? 
Work out your salvation. Flesh out your faith in daily life. Live. If I say that I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, how then should I live? A righteous life. So that's what, that's what the Proverbs are saying here. That's what the writer is saying in verses 6, 7, and 8. Look And notice the repetition of the word righteousness throughout this text. It's throughout this text. Verse 3, he says, the integrity of the upright. Verse 4, he says, righteousness delivers from death. Verse 5, he says, the righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way. But now in these verses, verses 6, 7, and 8, which is this point, a righteous way of life, he says, the righteousness of the upright shall deliver them. But transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. Now, I've tried to look at each of these verses and I, I, I could throw so much on you that it would be like throwing sand at you. You won't catch anything. But let me just say this about that verse. The word naughtiness speaks about lustful desires. And that relates to my opening illustration I was giving about the woke ideology and what they're pushing on our children. That's wicked naughtiness. And what he's saying here, the righteousness of the upright shall deliver them. So we need to make sure our children are saved. You need to make sure you're saved and then live out that righteousness and you will be delivered from these things. But the transgressors, those, remember what I said about a transgressor? One who has abandoned their relationship. A transgressor is one who has broken God's laws, abandoning their relationship with God and become unfaithful to Him. It says they will be taken in their own through their own lustful desires. A happy life is a holy life. <laughs> Do you want to be really happy? Live a holy life. Happiness is not through sin. Holiness is the way to happiness. Look at verse 7. He says, when the wicked man dies, his expectation perishes. The hope of unjust men perishes. Interesting proverb. Basically, what that says is that when the wicked die, everything they hope for, dream for, dies with them. And they have nothing. It's like the, the rich fool. Remember the, the rich fool? He said he wanted to tear down his barns and build greater. But Jesus, in giving that parable, said, Thou fool, this night your soul is required of you. In other words, he had all these plans, but he had no time to fulfill his plans. And his dreams died with him. But you know, when you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, your dreams don't ever die. When you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ and you're looking forward to what? Seeing Jesus, being in heaven. Dying is going to, it's going to make all our dreams come true. Our dreams never die. They're going to be fulfilled in greater ways than we could ever imagine when we die and see Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says, the righteous is delivered. Now notice again the word delivered, the righteous. Look at verse 6 again. The righteousness of the upright delivers them. And then verse 8, the righteous is delivered out of trouble. Now, just because you're righteous doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble. You know, I got, we got a text this morning. Some of you know this. We prayed earlier about it. But one of our deacons, Brother Suresh, who loves the Lord, he was hit by a drunk driver coming home from work last night. He was hit in the, in the back of his car. And then when he got hit in the back, he, he hit a taxi in front of him. So he got kind of hit in the back and then in the front his car is completely totaled. But thank God, he's fine. So God delivered him. And God will show him through this situation. So, but, but the Lord is going to deliver him through this. But how much better to go through a trial knowing that the Lord is with you? And so he says, the righteous is delivered out of, out of trouble and the wicked cometh in his stead. Now that's an interesting proverb, but I know you know what it means, because basically look at it this way. The righteous are delivered from trouble, and then the wicked fall into that very same trouble. Who in the Bible did that happen to? Haman. 
Remember Haman, he built a gallows to hang Mordecai, and then who ended up dying on those gallows? Haman. You know another example, a clear example in the Bible? What did, what, what, what did the accusers of Daniel, what did they want him to, to, to happen to him? Cast him into the, the burning, fiery furnace. Daniel was delivered out of the burning, fiery furnace, and who was thrown into it? The very ones who wanted Daniel thrown in. So that's, those are two illustrations of that verse. The righteous is delivered out of trouble. It doesn't mean they don't get in trouble. They actually get in trouble. <laughs> but they're delivered out of the trouble. And the wicked will get into that trouble and not get out. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. We're going to have trouble in this life. You know, this is a hard life. This life is difficult. We need help. We need deliverance. And the way we can find the help we need is through Jesus Christ and His righteousness and His help and His strength. The fifth thing now is to be rejoicing. I'm talking to you. Do you want to rejoice in life? Be honest. Have the humble attitude. Experience ultimate eternal deliverance through the righteousness of Christ. Live, live out that righteousness. Don't, as I say here, uh, re- reject a self-focused behavior and live out your righteousness in practical ways. So we reject self. And we want to live out Christ. And the fifth thing here is we must have an intimate relationship with God. If we're going to be happy... We have to have an intimate relationship with God. And you know what that will will protect you from? It will save you from? Verse 9. Look what it says in verse 9. A hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. But through knowledge shall the just be delivered. Hypocrisy is one of the most ugly practices of professing Christians. It brings a blot on our Savior. It brings a blot on the church. Christians are known for being A-class hypocrites. Because we have a high standard. (laughs) And none of us can attain to that standard. So sometimes that charge is thrown at us. But really, a hypocrite is one whose life is a lie. That's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is someone who says, do this, but he, he does the opposite. He doesn't do what he says to do. A hypocrite is someone who puts on a mask and pretends to be someone that they're not. Many pastors are hypocrites. Many Christians put on a mask and they pretend to be something that they're not. They pretend to their church. They pretend to their family. They pretend in their community. But the deliverance from hypocrisy is right here in this verse. It says, through knowledge shall the just be delivered. And I believe he's even talking there from the, from the hypocrite who with his mouth wants to destroy, but from hypocrisy itself. Through knowledge, the just shall be delivered. The knowledge there is not just knowing about, but it's having an intimate relationship with God. Let me ask you, do you have a relationship where you can talk to God. Where you can get on your knees and pour out your heart to God. Can you go to the Scripture and feel and hear the voice of God speaking to you? You've got to do that. We have to go to the Word of God and sense the Spirit of God speaking as friend to friend with us. That's what I'm talking about. And when, when God speaks to your heart like that, and I'm not saying that every day you're going to have this amazing you know, communication with God. Some days, you, you know, some days will be better than others. But as you commit yourself each day, get on your knees. For a few minutes even. I don't know how much time you have, but five, ten minutes. Get on your knees and talk to God. You know what you do when you talk to God? You say, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. Open up a psalm. Go to the Psalms and pray the Psalms. (laughs) Pray the Psalms. Or even as you read these verses, a hypocrite with his mouth, uh, as as a hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. 
So that gives you something to pray about. Lord, I pray that nobody will destroy me with their mouth, with slander. And I pray that my mouth will not be used to destroy other people. I don't want to be used to destroy. Lord, pray the Bible. Respond, respond to the Bible. Let God speak to your heart. Let God speak to your heart. And then respond to God. Take your focus off of self. To live out your righteousness. Not in self-deception, but embrace the knowledge of God. Actually, I didn't put the right thing in the notes, in the screen there. It should say, a rejoicing city rejects self-deception. Rejects self-deception. But embraces the knowledge of God. An intimate relationship with God. And you know, when you have this walk with God, and then you want, you're living before the Lord, you're not going to be a hypocrite. You're going to be honest. Live, live out your faith before the Lord. And you'll be honest before man. And you'll be able to smell out the motives of worldly, worldliness, of, of the hypocrisy of the world. And you'll be able to search out matters. And you'll see through the masks of people. And smell out selfish motives. And you'll walk in the presence of the King. An intimate relationship with God is a way to rejoice. Now lastly, divine blessings. You want to be rejoicing? I want our city to rejoice. A rejoicing city. A rejoicing city. Isn't that a, isn't that a great thing? I'm not talking about when the Mets win the World Series. I'm not talking about rejoicing like that. I mean when the Yankees win. No, I, well, I know I have some Yankee fans here. I mean, I, ticker tape parades are fun. Things like that. You know, the city's all excited and happy and rejoicing. When the, when the Yankees win the World Series, the Mets, they, well, they don't win enough to be talking about it right now, right? But, um, but still, ultimate, ultimate joy is not when our teams win. Ultimate rejoicing is when righteousness rules. And when God's blessings come down. So notice now, divine blessings bring joy and rejoicing. Wouldn't it be amazing if the divine blessings of God on our lives right here brought rejoicing to other people in the city this week? It can happen as you live out your righteousness and live out your faith in Jesus Christ. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. You know, when you go to work tomorrow, give a testimony of God's goodness. Be positive. Put your complaining aside. No complaining, no murmuring, no griping. You go to work, maybe you're around. Give a good testimony. God did this for me. God answered my prayer. He showed me this from the Bible. I want to show you really. And it says when it goes well with the righteous, you're, you're, the city rejoices. Bring some rejoicing to your office place. Bring some joy to those around you. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. So, let me try to hit this. Because this is so important. It says, by the blessing of the upright. Now, we use that word. We even pray that word so much. You know, Lord bless us. Lord bless them. Lord bless the missionaries. Lord bless. bless. What does it mean? When you say, Lord bless someone or bless me, what, do you, what are you actually asking? Do you know? The word bless simply means... You're asking God to endue you with power for success. That God would prosper you with fruitfulness. It's used at the very beginning. God blessed the animals to be fruitful and multiply. God blessed Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. But it, it means much more than just having children. But it, it means throughout Scripture as well of God enduing us, His people, with power. His power. His presence. When I say success, I'm not just talking about worldly success. But I'm talking about success in His sight. Like He told Joshua, Thou shalt have good success in My sight. It means that God will prosper you with salvation, with fruitfulness, with His presence, with His keeping power. That's the idea of blessing. Can you say it with me? Blessing means that God will endue us with power for success. That's from theological word book of the Old Testament. That's a good dictionary of the Old Testament that I use, said. And that's what T-W-O-T stands for there. Theological word book of the Old 
Testament. Yeah. And here's a verse, a famous verse. You know it, Genesis 12:2. God said to Abram, I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. So before you can be a blessing, what has to happen? God has to bless you. God says, I'm going to bless you. And then, you know what God says to Abram? I'm going to bless you, and now I'm commanding you, be a blessing. That's actually a command. Thou shalt be a blessing. That's a command from God for us, when He's blessed us, to be a blessing. When God's endued me with His salvation, I want to be a blessing to others. And ultimately, and I remember studying this when we did The, the Life of Abraham, a commentator named Leupold said, only in the Messiah, only in the Messiah does the depth of this word bless fully display itself. So God's saying to Abram, I will bless thee. That relates to salvation and it relates to the Messiah coming through Abraham, the seed of Abraham into the world. And that now Abraham had a purpose to live for. To live out His salvation. And ultimately to obey God so that the Messiah will come into the world who will crush the serpent. And we have a purpose to live for in Jesus Christ. Don't think we don't have a purpose to live for. We have a purpose to shine for Jesus Christ in our world. Be a blessing. So what does God's blessing do? That's the other question I want to ask. Go back to the text in Proverbs. You know, you know what God's blessing does? It, it, it brings victory. It, bling, it brings triumph over enemies. God's blessing brings a celebration in the city. When it says, by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, lifted up. And, and that word is even used when the ark was lifted up over the mountains. So when, God's, when God blesses, it's, it's like... God's blessing will just lift you up over all the storms of this world because you're in the ark of safety, Jesus Christ. And God will bless you. And through, your, through blessing you, others will be lifted up around you, He's saying. By the blessing of, of the upright, the city is exalted. And so God's blessings on the upright spark prosperity and victory. They manifest His presence and peace upon the city and the city is raised up just like yeast raises up dough. We're like the, we're like the, 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 the holy leaven, if you will. The holy yeast. Not in a sinful way, but in a holy way. And we can raise up the city around us. So Saul said this to David, Blessed be thou, my son David, thou shalt both do great things and shalt also prevail. And I, I put that verse here to show you that this word blessing, what does it do? It gives you power to do great things. When God blesses you, you have power to do great things for Him. And you will prevail. You will triumph. You will be victorious. We are victors in Jesus Christ. By the way, you know what... A lot of people in our society, they make money by making you a victim. They enrich themselves. And I'm talking about politicians. I'm talking about people even in education. And even this whole woke thing we're talking about. A lot of people will use you for their own personal gain. And the way they're going to exploit you for their gain is to make you a victim. I reject in Jesus Christ being a victim. I reject it. You know what people will call me? For, for saying what I just said, I'll just come out and say it. You know what they'll call me? A white supremacist. That's what they're saying. They're saying Christians, with the skin color of I have, if I say, if you're a man, be a man. And live a godly man. A, a way of life. Love your wife and be faithful to your wife. They say, oh, that's white supremacist. You know, this is actually what people are saying today. If you just have a, a Bible view of things, this is the attack we're under, beloved. I reject it. I believe we should be Christians and love Jesus and be a blessing and prevail because we've been blessed by God. And as Proverbs says, it's the blessing of the Lord that maketh rich. 
He addeth no sorrow to it. We need God's blessing. We need to be endued with power for success. We need the victory through Jesus Christ. I want to lift people up around me. And I love this verse. Can you read it with me? Because here we are in this great city. He said, Blessed be the Lord, for He hath showed me His marvelous kindness in a strong city. So you see, you know what? Why I put that verse in? It's the same Hebrew word. In other words, God blesses us, but throughout the Psalms, we bless God. Now, I thought about that. I was actually even in the train this week, and I was thinking about how could I bless God when God blesses me? How could I be worthy of God's blessing of something that He is and that He does? God deserves the blessing, right? God deserves the blessing. How could God bless me? And I, I was standing there thinking about this, and I couldn't understand it. And I saw a Jewish man with a yarmulke standing there, and I said, "How come this Hebrew word is used for?" God blessing me and me blessing God. He said, I don't know. <laughs> he said, but that's a good question. But most of the time in the narrative literature, it's God blessing someone like David or Abraham or Noah. God blesses, God blesses us. And then in the Psalms where it's worship, we bless God. But, but perhaps it's, it's because God has blessed us. And that I just turn around when I've truly been blessed of the Lord. I can't help but to say, Blessed be Thou, O God! You've shown Your goodness and Your kindness to me in this strong city. And so we have to reject promoting ourselves and rejoice in the blessings of God because He's good. And may God use us to bring joy to those around us, to, to bring peace to those around us, to, to lift up those around us because we're victors, we're triumphant, we're the righteous in Jesus Christ. Let's stand together as we pray. Oh, thank You, Lord, for Your divine blessing. We don't want the promotion of men. We need Your blessings, God, that make rich. By Your blessing upon Your people, the city is exalted. Would You bless Your people? I thank You that You've blessed us. Thank God that He's blessed you. Just put your hand up to the Lord and say, Thank You, God, that You've blessed me. I receive Your blessings in Jesus Christ. I receive the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. I want to live out that righteousness with, with honesty and with humility and rejoicing in my deliverance from sin and death. And I want to live out my righteousness righteously. And oh God, help me to have the blessing of an intimate relationship with You. Cry out to God even now, Lord, when I open Your Word, speak to my heart. God, when I pray, Hear those prayers and answer them in ways that I know You answered them. Even little things, God can answer those prayers. Maybe you need a parking place. Maybe you have a particular need as you wake up that day and you say, Lord, I need You to do something today and let Him do it for you. He'll show Himself real to you and He'll bless you with peace. Oh, and we pray for our city. God, we want our city to rejoice in You. It says in Your Word here that when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. Has it gone well with you? Can you say yes? Amen. It's gone well with me. Okay, so Lord, based on this, it's gone well with us. May this city rejoice. God, we want our city to rejoice in You. We want them to be saved. We want revival. God, Your Word says, by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. So Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. And we pray, O oh God, that those who are wicked that seek to overthrow righteousness would be put down. That they will be defeated. And that You would get the victory, Lord God. That Your ways, Your Word, Jesus Christ, You're a man of war. Thank You, Lord. The victory is ours. The victory is won. You're coming soon. So, Lord, we praise You. And how many would say, Pastor Matt, just pray for me today that I will walk with the Lord in this way to be humble, to be holy, to live out righteousness, to walk in intimacy with God.
and to experience his divine blessing. That's my desire. Can I see your hand today? Just put it up to the Lord. Just put it up to the Lord. Praise God all over. Thank the Lord. You can put your hands down. Is there anyone who would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not saved today. I'm not saved, but I need to be born again. Is there anyone here at all? Can I see your hand? Is there anyone? If you have any questions about your salvation, do not hesitate. We would love to speak with you. We love you, and we're glad that you're here today. Now, Lord, continue to work. Glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen.